0: What a great song to lead us into God's Word today. I'm excited about the message that I think God's put on my heart to share with you all. But before we get to that, I just wanted to mention that next week we begin a new message series that'll lead right up to our celebration of Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday, kind of an abbreviated Lenten series called At the Crossroad. And I think it's going to be a challenging and kind of fresh way to look at what Jesus did when he died on the cross and its meaning for us today. So I think you'll enjoy that beginning next week. But today, today we come to the end of our study of the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And we've been at this for about two and a half months. And if you're coming in today on the tail end of This series, I want to catch up a little bit on what we've been talking about. The theme has been on rebuilding what's broken, how God makes things new, because Nehemiah tells the story all the way from the 5th century BC about how God used this man Nehemiah to rebuild the ancient city of Jerusalem after it had been conquered and and leveled. And Nehemiah has this big job of putting all the pieces back together uh, to rebuild not just the city but more importantly the lives of the people who were beaten down and discouraged and most importantly had wandered far from God and we're using nehemiah's experience to talk about what happens in our lives when things get broken for whatever reason in your personal or your professional world, things start to go to pieces when it feels like maybe the whole structure of your life is shattered like an expensive vase on a concrete floor. And we wonder, can these broken pieces somehow be gathered up and by some recreative miracle of God be put together again so that life can recover its beauty and its purpose? Like Humpty Dumpty, there are times when people have a great fall and all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put the pieces back together again. You know, our own best human efforts and resources, we're incapable of really fixing things. All we can do is sweep up the pieces. So when that happens, is it possible that God, through Christ, can do something to rebuild a broken life? And this is precisely the problem that Nehemiah was dealing with, and he's showing us that, yes, God can rebuild broken things. Nehemiah's message to his people and to us now centuries later is a message of God's recreative grace that that we can experience now through Christ, that can really change things. It it inspires hope and and can bring a brand new way of living. In the chapters of Nehemiah, we've seen that there is this cycle of how it happens, this cycle that's actually repeated through the entire Bible, a cycle that moves from a life where life is good, life is experiencing lots of blessings, and maybe we begin to take those blessings for granted. And that complacency leads us to turning away from God, to either passively or actively kind of slipping away into sin and the inevitable crisis that follows. And actually that crisis is the key, because it forces us to re-examine life. It, It can actually push us back to God, where through repentance we can sense his grace and new beginnings, and discover a new experience of his peace and his wholeness. That's Nehemiah's story in rebuilding Jerusalem. They went through this entire cycle from ruin all the way to rejoicing. But last week we saw that Nehemiah had one more tough lesson to learn, and that was that the cycle of renewal and rebellion keeps on turning. It's not a once-and-done thing, and it can feel like you have to start over again, again. Just when Nehemiah thought everything was perfect, that's when things were starting to fall apart. I bet you felt that way too at some point. I bet you have. When things were going good and then somehow, bam, out of the blue, something comes and just knocks you off your feet and you lose your job. You never thought that was going to happen to you. Your best friend stabs you in the back. You've hurt someone close to you. A, A problem, a sin that you thought you had buried long ago somehow resurfaces. You're back to square one. And in the final chapter of Nehemiah, chapter 13, he's still dealing with some of the same issues that we looked at earlier in the book, people still rebelling against the commitments that they had made to God. And Nehemiah actually kind of loses it at the end of chapter 13. I mean, he starts pulling hair, he starts slapping people around, he has some real anger management issues in chapter 13. But it's because all these things keep coming back again and again. But rather than rehash those particular issues, what I want to do this morning is just one thing. I want to look at the prayer that Nehemiah prayed here at the end of chapter 13 because I think it sort of encapsulates or summarizes what it takes to be this kind of person, the kind of person who can experience a broken world and yet can also have the sense of constant renewal with God, the attitude that allows people that after they've been knocked down to be able to get back up again to get in step with God, to stay close to God, regardless of the outward circumstances. You know, the hard attitude that allows you to keep growing in your faith no matter what might be broken around you or what might be broken within you. So let me read his three short prayers in chapter 13. They repeat the same theme. It's verses 14, 22, and 31. Remember me for this, my God. And do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Remember me with favor, O my God. Let's pray. Lord, may the spirit of Nehemiah's prayer inspire us today as we seek to be your people and we try to figure out what does it take for worlds to be rebuilt Give us your grace and your spirit now, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, nothing grabs headlines like a good celebrity meltdown. Uh, There's something sad about our culture that seems to just love to watch a life unravel whether it's Lindsay Lohan or Charlie Sheen, boy, their antics make for some good TV footage and lots of fodder for talk shows and entertainment blogs or or the politician who makes a huge gaffe or whose marriage falls apart. When their worlds break, it's a public thing. It's all over the news until somebody else comes along. The public loves a good meltdown, but we get bored kind of quickly. The truth is, there are lots of broken world people all around us all the time. It's just that most of us don't make the headlines. You know, when our personal worlds start to unravel, we hide it. We don't want to go public. Maybe word leaks out through our circle of friends or family or coworkers. But as we look around, even just this morning, you'll notice there are lots of us here who have stumbled in the race of life. Lots of us who've got, you know, cinders in our knees and maybe scrapes and bruises, who've experienced some real pain, either because of our own choices or because somebody else tripped us up. Mistakes we've made, relationships that are in trouble, decisions that weren't so smart, a, a grief that has just wounded our soul, the loss of a loved one, or, or maybe a dream that died, a, a dark cloud of disappointment that we just can't get out from under. If we're really going to understand the kind of prayer that Nehemiah prayed, the first thing we've got to realize is that we will all experience broken worlds. So it's not just a theoretical question, but it's a daily reality. We wonder, what about my world? Can my world be rebuilt? Will I ever recover from this? Will God ever love me again? Will this cloud ever lift? Will God ever be able to use me? And will I ever rediscover the joy of life? You know, our worlds are this complex web of relationships and emotions and expectations, of of hopes, of commitments, of choices. We all work very hard to kind of carefully construct our worlds. We do a lot of dreaming and preparing and planning and pursuing to get our world to a particular point in life. We fight for it. And then if it starts to crumble, it can feel so devastating. It's like the images that we see from Japan, where you have people whose whose families, whose homes, whose businesses have literally been wiped away. When our world gets shaken, it leaves us stunned. It seems even unreal, like it can't be happening. And so there are two myths about broken worlds that we need to dispel if we want to get to the point of God being able to rebuild. And the first myth is this. That broken worlds are the exception rather than the rule. The myth says that it's unusual for bad things to happen, unusual for your world to get rocked and for things to begin to unravel, that it will never happen to me. It might happen to other people, but somehow it's never going to happen to me. And that's a myth we believe. Because we don't want to have to face the real possibility that something could happen to us. There's already enough in life to worry about. We don't want to worry about some big thing rocking our world. We want to feel protected or that somehow we can live above it all even when we see others suffering. But all you have to do is know a little history and you quickly discover that 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 can't be true. For example, almost every story in the Bible is a broken world story. Old Testament people like Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Moses, David, Jeremiah, Jonah, and on and on and on, they all had their broken worlds. New Testament people like the Apostle Peter, whose world broke when he denied Christ during the crucifixion, like Mary Magdalene the prostitute, Levi the tax collector, or St. Paul who went from murderer to God's messenger because his world broke in half. Sooner or later, everybody faces a broken world. And it may not always be the result of one's own decisions. It could be because the consequences of someone else's choices. But these Bible people show us that broken world moments happen all the time. But they can also become turnaround moments that bring us closer to God, the greater experience of God of renewed character, of renewed courage, of even greater achievement for God. We're all going to have broken world experiences. The question is, what do we do with those experiences? And that leads us to the second myth, that I can handle anything. I can handle anything. We overestimate our own abilities, and we underestimate the power that sin has in us and in the world around us. Jeremiah seventeen nine: The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure who can understand it you see the bible teaches that the worst spiritual disease is thinking that you're okay all on your own that somehow you can manage all by yourself that you can fix it without god's help we create this persona that then we have to protect an overconfidence in self you know sort of like the old testament character samson who got caught sort of tiptoeing on the spider web because he thought he could escape the consequences of his own sinful behavior. The strong, in-control, I'm-the-master-of-my-own-universe kind of bravado that forces people to pretend, to fake it, to be false, to go it alone, and worst of all, to have to keep secrets. Since we're not measuring up, it means we're constantly covering up. The British writer G.K. Chesterton once said, Almost no one carries a heavier load than the carrier of personal secrets, either from the past or the present. Secrets. That's what we have to carry when we think we can do it alone. The person who thinks they can handle anything ends up carrying a huge load, like the the ancient Greek myth of, of Sisyphus who was condemned by the gods to the endless job of rolling this huge boulder up a hill, and just as he got to the top, it would roll back down again, and he would have to start all over again. Some of you think, well, that sounds like my job, you know. (laughs) But the myth is there to tell us that it can feel like that when you fall into thinking that you've got to carry this burden yourself. You see, true spiritual personal insight begins with the truth about ourselves. We have to be honest and open before the Lord that we are broken people in a broken world in need of a God who can put us back together again. Again and again and again he puts us back together. I believe the grace of God is sort of like super glue for the soul. Jesus Christ is the redeemer of sinners, the wise rebuilder of broken worlds, and he can handle the toughest situations. Romans 5:20 says that where sin abounds, his grace superabounds. It's like an extra extra amount because he can handle anything. God sends a Holy Spirit-inspired restorative process, a power outside ourselves that brings us to the point of repentance and beginning again. That is how broken worlds are rebuilt. But it can only happen when we're completely honest and open before God. That's what Nehemiah's prayer is really all about. He's saying, God, remember me. God, you examine me. Put me under your magnifying glass. Put me under your microscope. You're the one who knows me best. You're the only one who can see me like I I really am, so show me. Without that, nothing else will make sense, so help me to know that my primary identity is that I'm a flawed person, that I'm a sinner saved by grace. No pretense, no false humility. You see, we all need that kind of humility, that kind of prayer, every single day. That kind of transparency before God, every single day. But it's not always easy to come by. It's sort of like the parable Jesus told about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. You remember the story? A young man demanded his inheritance from his father and went out on this sordid binge that could even make Charlie Sheen blush. Uh, I mean, he went through his bankroll in a hurry and he ends up, you know, broke, alone, and sling and slop in a pigsty. And then it says, beautiful verse, Luke fifteen seventeen, Great verse. It says, he came to his senses. He came to his senses. What a great phrase. He had this wake-up call. Not only did he begin to think clearly about himself, but he got honest about his mistakes, his missteps, and what was really going to be important in his life. It was a moment when God reached in and rattled his brain. A profound moment of flashing personal insight that that brought him to his senses. And Jesus was saying, we all need that moment of awareness when God's truth breaks through our deception, when we see ourselves for who we really are, that we don't have to have life all put together, and that left to ourselves, folks, we will screw it up. And it's humbling. You point the finger of responsibility at yourself, and that's not easy. You acknowledge your accountability before God, no excuses, and you admit, I screw things up. It's a difficult moment, maybe the hardest moment in life, to be honest, before God. But the Bible calls this action repentance. It's a dramatic word. It's a change of direction. And so the prodigal son had his moment of brokenness, but it brought him to his senses, and it brought him back to God. And folks, that's the key, to turn your experience of brokenness into an asset before God. G.K. Chesterton also said, The freest person in the world is the one with an open heart, a broken spirit, and a new direction in which to travel. And God gives new directions. Brokenness forces us to our knees, but it also means that we have to then lean into God and learn to be dependent on Him. We turn away from trying to do things in our own strength to do it all ourselves by surrendering our will to his greater will. And this is the way God works in our hearts. It's the way he wants to work. It's the best work that he does. This is Christ's specialty, fixing broken things. A broken world will never be rebuilt until we learn to turn our hearts to Christ, to open ourselves to his light of his truth. And that light shows us some unattractive evil in us. But then something marvelous happens. The love of God is set free to flood into the darkest recesses of our heart. And that's how the restoring process begins. This is what God does best. This is what he loves to do. Listen to these verses and how they capture the heart of God for us. Psalm 38, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You know, like the prostitute who kneeled before Jesus and washed his feet with his tears. Jesus was drawn to these kinds of people, broken people, and it's where he did his best work. Psalm 147, verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. You see, brokenness before God is a good thing because that's how he begins to wrap the pieces back together. Psalm 51, verse 17. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You will not despise, my God. This is what God wants for us to not come in all cleaned up and polished and pretending, but to say, God, here are the broken pieces. I'm offering all of that to you because you're the only one who can do anything about it. And this is how Jesus described his very purpose. In his very first public message, he quotes from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness of prisoners. Jesus says, this is my primary purpose, to come into your heart and help you put the pieces back together. So remember me, prayed Nehemiah. I love what St. Augustine once wrote, what am I without thee? but a guide to my own downfall. Isn't that true? A guide to my own downfall. We must learn to live as continually broken people, perpetually broken people. Brokenness before God is a way of life, and it's what makes us able then to reach out effectively to other people who've also been broken in this world. C.S. Lewis once wrote, Think of me as a fellow patient in the same hospital who having been admitted a little earlier, can give some advice. You know, that's really what the church is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be this place for perfect people. It's, for, it's this hospital for sinners where we all come together and say, hey, I've been here a little longer than you, can I help you out? That's all the church is supposed to be, is a place where we come together and find God's healing and God's restorative grace. Like recovering alcoholics, we know we can slip back into old things. And there but for the grace of God go I. And so we keep on living in dependence on Christ. He's the one. He's the God of risings again, who never tires of fresh starts, of new beginnings. Jesus is the God of starting over, of Genesis and re-Genesis. And so God's ready to rebuild what's broken. And as we come to the end of this series, the real question is, are you ready? Are you ready to let him? Are you ready and willing to to have that kind of daily humility that says, I, 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 will just, I will just mess this up on my own. This is who I am apart from God's grace. And so God, you need to be the one who rebuilds my life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you just even for this sacrament because it's a reminder of the great cost that you gave so that our lives could be rebuilt. You were broken for us on the cross. You were crushed for our iniquities, Lord. Lord, so that we could be set free. Help us not to take that for granted, but to live daily with humility and openness and transparency before you, and to say, Lord, remember me, search me, examine me every day, so that I might not deceive myself, but walk close to you. Thank you for the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit that gives us the power to do so. For we give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen.